What's fueling the rise of violent crime in our city? Is there anything we can do about it? Now, 6.30 Chad Mornings presents an in-depth conversation. Is Edmonton a safe city? And lots of you, of course, have an opinion because of your own experiences here in the city. And so we will really open up the phone lines and the text lines tomorrow, although I'd love to get, uh, we would love to get any of your text comments in today, 780-496-0063, as we continue to delve into this uh, this conversation. But we'll really listen to some of your comments and read out some of your comments and open the phone lines uh, come tomorrow. Today, we're going to talk... Uh, but a couple of elements, that, but I think they really do work together, both about transit and about trying to help the vulnerable people, vulnerable people who are on our streets. Yeah, do you feel safe if you take public transit? There have been a lot of stories of uh, violence, lack of security, and a general feeling of uneasiness on uh, public transit in the city. And how does that tie into some of the other conversations that we've had about the lack of resources for vulnerable people, um, the homelessness issue, the drug use problem that we have in our city. So we're talking about it right now with the leader of Bear Clan Beaver Hills House. And if you don't know about Bear Clan, they say on their Facebook page, their mandate is to foster community respect and awareness through a caring, dignified, compassionate, committed relationship building outreach approach. And their name has been mentioned in several news stories, reaching out and and helping those that are in really vulnerable positions positions, uh, specifically some of the stories that come to mind are the ones where they're helping out people in the really cold winter months here in our city, but their work goes all year round. So we're talking to the leader, Judith Gale. Judith, good morning. Thanks so much for being on. Oh, good morning. Thank you. It's good to have you. I'm I'm sorry. Um, I talked all over it over the top of you. (laughs) Good start. I was just saying, uh, hi, hi, Musty Cho Uh, for having me on. And I'd just like to acknowledge that we're on Treaty 6. I'm a visitor as well on Treaty 6. I'm from Treaty 8 territory. So, Musty Cho. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Tell me a little bit about the work you do. We uh, Chelsea certainly talked, uh, gave an overview, uh, but what, what is your role? What are you trying to accomplish? What goals do you have as you go through and do your work? Certainly. Well, um, we started at the onset, uh, uh, at the beginning, rather, of uh, COVID because we recognized such a need out there. Our brothers and sisters were literally left out in the cold uh, during um, lockdowns and while everybody, every citizen in Edmonton was nestled in their house during isolation, our brothers and sisters had no place to go. I mean, really no place to go. There was no bathrooms. There was uh, no water. There was, uh, the shelters were overcome as well with COVID. So they were on isolation. So it was trying to help and just keep an eye out and trying to help people stay safe. Exactly, because we, we as Indigenous people, since time immemorial, have always taken care of one another. And so we're just continuing the custom of our ancestors uh, uh, during difficult times, you know. You guys say that there's a, uh, a drug problem. I say there's a drug epidemic 
You know, it is horrible out there. And um, I can't, I have to attribute it to the fact that our government saw fit to close safe consumption sites, to close 80 mental health beds that are desperately needed. Instead, we see our mental health, the most vulnerable, left on the street to fend for themselves, which is really deplorable for a a society that's supposed to um, be the richest, you know, in Canada. Thank you for acknowledging that there is a huge issue because, you know, we've had some mixed... Some, some different answers from some of the guests that we've had on the show so far in terms of whether or not there really is a, an escalated problem or whether it's just something that we're perceiving is escalated because we have all been living a different sort of lifestyle for the last two years and maybe not necessarily being as out in public and witnessing some of the things that we're witnessing. But I, as someone who lives downtown, can say I personally don't think I've ever seen it like this before. I, no matter what time of day, you see so many people that don't have anywhere to go that are extremely vulnerable. What What is the solution, Judith? I believe it's just uh, loving and caring and uh, giving uh, empathy and compassionate care to our brothers and sisters. We have to look at them as, uh, uh, you know, as as we would our own children. I'm a mother, and goodness me, I see a lot of young kids lately out, and it just breaks my heart. And the reason we have young little kids out is because Cindy Black, uh, Blackstock, she said that there's 85% of children in care currently. And those children are aging out, and guess where they're ending up? On the street. So we see a big, big number of children now on the street. And I call them children because they're 18. And when you're a teen, you're still a child, you know? Yeah, so how, how do you look at it? So if you think of somebody who is not from this community, uh, who might be coming downtown, you recognize that there are vulnerable people who, vulnerable people who might be uh, desperate. And that can, so the, the interaction between these sort of two groups of people has created some sparks. It has created a feeling of, of, of not being safe as well. You know, to say we just need to love them through it, if you're being accosted downtown, that's difficult for some people to wrap their heads around. Uh, oh, do you have suggestions and advice on what we should do? Uh, absolutely, if you're being accosted downtown. So we have a lot of our brothers and sisters that are in psychosis. And when a person is going through psychosis, their brain and their body do not communicate. So when you see a person like that, I suggest you just, you know, go the other way or um, not engage at all. Um, And if they do engage with you, um, then, I mean, it's really difficult because they're dangerous at that point to themselves Mm -hmm. and to society at large right so this is why we have to recognize that we have such a drug epidemic out there and we can't blame the poor addict who is out of uh, whose control it is out of we can't blame them because quite frankly society has put them there yeah, I mean, you talk about you talk about addiction. You talk about you know a uh, huge mental health problem, and mental health is something that really goes hand in hand with a lot of the uh, a lot of the reasons that we're seeing so much homelessness downtown. From your perspective, as the leader of Bear Clan, and you're you're really boots on the ground helping these people. 
Do you have do you have a hope based on the I, work that you're doing, or is it disheartening? No, I do have hope because I see the city doing some wonderful things. You know, they're really looking at uh, this problem, and and it is a problem, and it's everybody's problem, um, the attic included. You know, um, now I, I'm very excited that the city has a group of uh, people and group because you never do this work alone. Um, a group of people that uh, are employed by the city of Edmonton and they go in the inner city and they offer water and um, can, uh, supports through city of Edmonton and, uh, and some harm reduction and stuff. Now we need more of those kinds of people, more of our kind of people on the street as well. You know, right now, I, I believe we have about six mutual aid groups on the ground, which is wonderful, but really, um, we need more. We need more every day uh, because we, you know, we recognize that we can't fix our brothers and sisters, but at least we can walk with them and let them know they're not alone and give them hope that they can then perhaps crawl out of that hole you know yeah. and and I've seen it time and time again all it takes is one decision and the person's whole tra trajectory changes and uh, they they become sober and housed and uh, get jobs you know I've seen it I really I know that there is no lost cause now what we have to do is we have to get our government, we have to get our Minister of Health to recognize that we are in a mental health crisis. We have to get our community and social services to recognize that we are in a drug epidemic and COVID. You know, I mean, I, I, everybody talks about how we, we, we all got COVID. Well, what about the COVID fog? Uh, That's still lingering, you know, yeah, over society, uh, right? Yep. Yeah. Judith, uh, your yeah. passion your passion is evident. Uh, you've been doing uh, good work to, to protect your brothers and sisters, and this is obviously a multi-level thing that needs to be uh, dealt with, but we, I think everybody appreciates uh, the effort and the passion that you put into, uh, into your work, so thank you for chatting with, uh, with us this morning. And it's not only us, like I said, it's like the whole Bear Clan, uh, the uh, the five other mutual aid groups, the city of Edmonton. Um, you know, we need more people, more beautiful volunteers, um, bringing humanization to our brothers and sisters, you know, instead of dehumanizing them. Great point. Judah, thank you so much. All right. Have a good day, guys. You too. Bye. Take care. Judith Gale is a leader of uh, Bear Clan Beaver Hills House, and uh, not alone, as she says, uh, going out to try and, and help people out. But as we talk about, and she recognizes too, that, that there are people that are going through so many mental health issues that they can be dangerous. They can't. So you've got to. What one? I think if there's one thing we've learned uh, throughout the Safe City series is that this is not a single solution issue. There are so many levels, and you've got to start. You got to start somewhere. So you know, try and make it by keep by protect. Get the people who are on the streets, either off the streets or the help they need. And that's a huge first step. But you also have to protect Edmontonians at the same time. So. Yeah, it's resources needed, you know, to provide that support, those mental health supports, so that you know you can help pull somebody from addiction or yeah. help help lead them out of it. But you know, to to at least acknowledge that there really is a growing problem, because certainly anecdotally looking around, it 
It definitely seems as though there is one. And it certainly feels like it when uh, you're on city transit. So uh, morning show producer Brad Whisker and I uh, both decided to go on, on a trip on transit, sort of around rush hour late in the afternoon. Why? Because, well, neither one of us take it on a regular basis. So, you know, it's kind of like we wanted to see what some of you might be experiencing when you're out on, on city transit. So we t- took the LRT. It was, it was in the late afternoon, and Brad's uh, joining us this morning. There were a few things that struck us as we were going through. Uh, worth it, Brad? Yeah, there were a few. Once we got uh, the payment sorted out. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not smart. Yeah, we didn't realize how, how we were supposed to do that. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was, um, it was interesting because, and you and I have agreed that we've only we only traveled for an hour and a half. Yeah, it's not a during base. during rush hour. So I mean, we only saw science. we only saw what we saw. We our our experience can't be put on anyone else. Uh, I, I I felt comfortable, but that may be because of my sex and my race, mm-hmm. and and that I think is part of the conversation as well. Yeah, we're that, both big white males, and uh, exactly. we're not really targeted like some other people. Well, what struck me from what you guys mentioned about the about the ride too, and and the pictures that you showed me, Daryl, of the uh, LRT station was just the emptiness. Yeah, just it was sort of a little late, later on in the afternoon when I snapped those pictures, and I thought it would be an awful lot busier, but maybe it's just the, the time of it. But yeah, it can feel empty, and I think that sometimes if you're in a larger group of people, you can feel safer, mm-hmm. right? But if it, you just and there were there were three people uh, when we were on our, our trip that I kind of looked at and I went, wow, I, I'm trying to imagine walking in your shoes. There's a woman; she had a burqa, uh, she was darker skinned, don't know where she was from, by herself in a transit station. Shouldn't be a big deal. But all I could think about was what on earth would her mind would be going on in her mind? Would she feel targeted on a regular yeah. basis? There was an elderly Chinese man who was kept his eyes down, did not look anywhere else, and I wondered as well what kind of thoughts would be running through his head about whether he's targeted. I saw a, a young girl, probably 16 or so, uh, at a bus stop, eyes down, not making eye contact, and just protecting herself. And so I tried to empathize or understand what some people, uh, how they how they could feel targeted as a What was s- security like when you two took took the ride? Was security visible? Did, did they seem available? Yeah, there was some security there. Uh, the presence was nice, uh, definitely. I mean, there was about two or three security guards per station. We stopped at a number of them through, uh, through downtown. So they're there. They're watching. They're keeping a close eye. Um, you know, but they're they are there for a response to call somebody else should things escalate, right? Mm-hmm. So they can only do so much when they're, when they're present. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it depends. You're also, it's a reality. Any city you go to, you have the unpredictability of being around other people. You don't know what they're going through. There was, there was a young kid. I don't know. What, what did you think, Brad? He was maybe 16, 15, 16 years old or so? Yeah, exactly. So he came on the train, one of the trains that we were on, didn't make eye contact, just walked in and just fired his backpack into the chair. And, like, he was... Like, the, he had some issues going on. So he fired the backpack and sat down. A few moments later, grabbed his backpack, walked away, went into another seat. Next thing you know, when he's leaving uh, the, the train, the next stop he got off, and then he's giving everybody the finger as he's going up an escalator. So this is a kid who was obviously going through some, some emotional issues, but that shows up on the train. That can show up on a bus. You don't know when you're going to run into it. So there are still interactions with people. I don't know, you know, some security guard up in the station isn't going to be able to help. Yeah, and I think that's, to me, what what feels the most uneasy in your description of it is that it's that it's that unpredictability of, of just humans, you know, regardless of their life circumstance, but the fact that you're in an environment that's pretty empty and it, where where is that It'd be spooky. help? It'd be spooky if I, if I was one of these people who I think would feel vulnerable walking through a virtually empty and then going around the corners and seeing who might be there. Yeah, and I mean, we saw her at 6 o'clock in the evening. Imagine doing that at 11.30 on a Friday. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
Well, it sounds like the volume that wasn't on the train seems like a lot of people are choosing not to do that. Well, and and, and again, that was just the moment. Maybe we missed the worst of rush hour. I think we probably did because we were trying to get figured out how to get on the train because <laughs> we had no idea. Uh, and so maybe I think we, it gets a lot busier, uh, obviously, in other parts of the day. So uh, We'd love to hear from you, Ched Nation, if you have an experience on transit or what your experience is just in in the core of the city. Do you feel that Edmonton is safe? What are some of your experiences? 780-496-0063. Again, tomorrow as our Safe City series, series wraps up, we are going to get all of your perspectives. We'd love to share some texts and some phone calls as well. Right now, we're going to head to a break. We'll come back with Morley and get a look at sports next. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.